for having me. It's an honor. Um, yeah, as, as he said, I'm, I'm, you know, much about ethics. I know about ethics because I'm a human being, but that's about it. I didn't have any study or background. I'm a technical guy working in the automotive industry, most of that in the navigation area, as he said. And uh, I'm happy to combine that with working at the Antwerp University at the, of Technology. And working with students, and I don't have to tell it here, is, is, is really also a privilege to do. And mainly because they have uh, this, this unique talent to come up with the most stupid ideas uh, that you can imagine uh, with, with making solar cars that produce more energy than they use for driving. That, that's one of my students. And, they, and I could easily calculate that that was not doable and they proved me wrong. They did that. They, they did the entire crossing. That's a, that's a big challenge in, uh, in Australia. And the 3,000 kilometers in uh, five days with five occupants in a car that in the end produced more energy with the solar cells on top of it than they used to. They proved that with the average, because you don't have to do 3,000 kilometers in five days normally in England, that over the year around, they proved that it would be sufficient to do so. The only thing is that, that during the winter, we have a little bit of a problem with the winters, winter summer, right? you know, that it's, it's only 1% of world population that lives further from the equator than the Dutch and the, and the English, actually. Huh? So it's, everybody's living closer to the, uh, to the equator, so that's a little bit of a problem, but uh, we'll, we'll solve him all these kind of stupid ideas. We, we challenge that, we, we really um, want them to chase these stupid ideas, because I think, and that, that's really so that the future breakthrough, uh, the breakthrough of the future is the stupid idea of yesterday. It's not that you just can achieve a breakthrough by just do an extra few percentage, etc. And, uh, and so, so we just let them. And mostly, indeed, it is a stupid idea, but then still they will find something that they otherwise would have never found just by chasing the stupid idea. Now, as you can say, and as also sell, I, I'm, I'm in uh, Silicon Valley a lot because of the Singularity University, which isn't a university, it's just kind of a think tank of what's all happening with this exponential development. And in Silicon Valley, it's kind of a religious basis that, that they think the other way around, that every stupid idea will be a breakthrough, which is not the case. 99% of the stupid ideas, and these are very stupid ideas, but yes. That's a little bit of a different, different kind of universe over there. And that, that's also where we had some discussion on, on this, this extreme techno-optimism, techno uh, where also the ethics come around, and that therefore, yeah, there was, there was a nice discussion that we had in Harlem half a year ago. So glad for the innovation to just talk to you a little bit about the future of mobility, because this is exactly an example of an industry that at this moment is being disrupted, this ugly word as you call it. It's also disruption in action was happening over there. And uh, this disruption is all about this, this, this Kodak moment. Huh? This is, it's also called that, that uh, digitization is entering an industry and everything changes much faster as, as before, so fast that, that, that even big industries like Kodak couldn't prepare for this change. And that's actually what Singlet University is doing, is helping with this Moore's Law, you, you probably know these figures. Moore's Law says that um, computer power doubles every 18 months. And it's invented by Gordon Moore, who was actually working at Intel back then. That's why it's called Moore's Law. And he found that out at a certain moment. And after a couple of studies, that this might go on for another five years, but it's already continuing now for 20, 25 years, that every 18 months, computer power is doubling. And even if you go back through all the technologies, you see actually that this is a constant in history, that independent from the technology, from crisis, from, from war times, what have you, uh, all this, this technology keeps on doubling its power every 18 months again and again. And this is an exponential development, and that's why things go wrong, because we as human beings, our software had its last uh, update about 50,000 years ago, maybe a little bit more, and that was a linear world. When there was a deer running like this, you had to 
work like this in order to catch it over there. That's a linear approach and we were perfectly capable of surviving with that. But now things start changing exponentially and that's something that we cannot grasp. Uh, if, I, if I go outside and I walk 30 steps of one meter, I will be 30 meters from uh, further. But if I do that one meter, two meter, four meter, eight meters, 60 meters, everybody knows you're much further away than this, these, these 30 meters. But you, you have been circling the earth 25 times if you do this 30 times. So this exponential development, it comes fast and it's come faster than people normally expect. And that's why these codecs and all these things in this, in this the digitization cannot, cannot uh, follow. Uh, there's no reason to believe that it's ever going to stop. Maybe if even these chi chips, the 3D printed, by the way, I must say in all modesty, not, no, in all modesty, most of these technology at this moment is invented in the region of Eindhoven, because uh, this is where Philips was based, and Philips uh, was the inventor of the glass tube, uh, and also the transistor did a lot of developments, and even a derivative of Philips, which is ASML, is also located in the region, has 85% of this Moore's law uh, producing machines at this moment of the world market and actually all the Silicon Valley big markets would be nothing if there would not be this computer technology every 18 months so we're a little bit proud of that as well it will continue in the future so now we have these computers if you would we have computers that, that have the intelligence of a mouse brain but there's, there's reason to believe that's actually I don't see why it would, shouldn't happen that at a certain moment these computers around 2030 will be just as clever as the human brain and at a certain moment as all human brains together and then you can have some, some scary scenarios as well. This is Boston Dynamics. It's actually in the humanoid robots, they are uh, they're, they're number one. This the robot they produced about two years ago for the military purposes. So it could help the soldiers by carrying all their luggage so they, they would more, be more agile. It can even simulate if it's a little bit drunk, if you can see. <laughs> Never complains about cold feet. And she actually, but this is this intelligence of a mouse that you see here, a little bit less maybe in order just to keep, keep yourself stabilized. And just to show how, how difficult this might be, but how, how intelligent we are. It's so simple to us to walk a little bit, and this is already fighting with that. Now, talking about ethics, I love discussions of, of if, if robots, if we're ever going to have feelings for robots. Actually, this proves already that you already feel a little bit sorry for this bunch of material actually huh there's no soul in it i don't know what a soul exactly is because it's a different discussion but here you feel a little bit sorry for the robot and there's also a discussion now will, will a robot ever have feelings for human beings that's another way around but here you feel already and it gets get worse uh, in, in a second now that you really feel sorry for this robot and maybe even if you would be able to program this robot would you program something that if, if this guy keeps on doing this, that this robot might react and stand up and kick him in the head or something, I don't know, that's, that's, that starts to be a little bit, here, here he goes and now he turns around and up again. Now, this, this, this robot learns from everything that he's doing, that's actually the strength of the robots, and this, this same robot with exactly the same mechanics, the only thing is this one half year later, so computer power has doubled, it has more computer, better software exactly, but it's the same hardware, they gave him an update, and it was capable to already do a little bit more than this. So this sees, this, this is a little bit less clumsy as what we just uh, saw. And same robot, same mechanics, no different updates on that. Only software different to the other ones. One of these, these Moore's Law softwares. We, we still find uh, it makes us smile, but now ju just to, to, to give you an indication, these Boston Dynamics brought out some other uh, 
It's also for military purposes. Just, just to check on this. This already looks a little bit creepier, huh? Here comes his buddy. What he's doing with his foot now, that's, that's, that's really uh, almost human behavior. Yeah. Take his foot over there. He starts scaring people off. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's indeed time to, to think a little bit about the ethics on this one. I will come back to this as well because, of course, the automotive business is just a business that at this moment is also being confronted with all the digitization. And then panic starts. This is just again Moore's law, just pictured in, uh, illustrated in one picture. This is a 5 megabyte hard drive in 1956, and 5 megabyte is just one song on MP3. So you see one song being uploaded in an airplane here, and nobody around that time would have thought of making the music industry digital, which was a very stupid idea back then. Uh, yet, even if you would have predicted that sooner or later the music industry would be digital, would you have come up with this iTunes? Because iTunes was just one out of the hundred stupid ideas to make a, a, a digital music industry. Yet iTunes won. And it's very hard to tell why this one won and not the other one in 1999. By the way, iTunes, which by, on its turn is being disrupted, uh, already is disrupted with uh, Spotify. Uh, I, I, iTunes is going to be closed in a, in, in a couple of months from now. So that's, that's how fast all these changes come. And it accounts actually for all these services and products that you see here, uh, neither of them is older than 16 years. They all come up and they all replace uh, an, an entire economy like an encyclopedia economy by Wikipedia. That's the oldest one, 16 years old. The blockbusters, which is totally being washed away by Netflixes. And for all these products that you see here, there are about 99 alternatives that didn't make it. So like these didn't make it, it's very hard to predict and to grab. And that's exactly, and therefore we're going to use this as an example, also happening to this car industry because these cars are also becoming computers and wheels. These, these have more, a car, just an average car has about a similar computing power than an entire airplane nowadays and it has about 20 times more lines of software code. Uh, Mercedes-Benz has 100 million lines of software code they privately uh, presented and I talked to one of the Mercedes guys and he said that 20% of the software we haven't got a clue what it's doing in the car but we just leave it there because we're afraid to take it out because otherwise the system would collapse. And, and all these, these dangerous robots that they are becoming, taking over <coughs> more and more of the task of the driver, which has actually already been going on for 100 years, um, they also now start communicating with, uh, with, with servers and with, I don't know with what. I have four SIM cards in my car, one of the insurance, one of the car manufacturer, one of my navigation system, and another one. And they're constantly talking to, I don't know, that, that's, uh, that's already, that, that's actually happening. So you cannot wait that also in this industry this disruption will take place and probably more will change in the next five years than the last 50. Um, just I want, I want to start with things. If, if you're kind of sure that things are going to change rapidly, it's good to just start with something that probably will not change or that you can predict. And this is one thing that we also use at the Singularity University, the 6Ds, and I'll give you a 7D for free today. Um, but this is the 6Ds of digitization, which with the, the, after digitization, the first products are kind of deceptive. deceptive. That, that's the, the, the first digital camera was about this big. It had 0.001 megapixel and it took about seven minutes to upload your photo on a cassette tape. And, and everybody would have thought, oh, yeah, this digitization is not working. But this is the one, two, four, very slow beginning. 
and then I go, when, it, when it bursts and it comes very quickly at the disruption, you all, practically always see demethylization, demonetization, and democratization. And it's happening to a lot of industries. To, um, that, for instance, you don't need any records anymore. Music is considered to be free by my children. So is information, etc. So everybody can use it. A kid in Africa nowadays has access to more information than the President of the United States had 20 years ago. Or the President of the United States uh, today uses, but that's a little bit a different problem that we're not going to solve here. Uh, also with music, music is for free to my, to, my, to my kids, actually. But now they start spending the same amount of money that I spend on the music, so the medium gets for free, but they start going to festivals and concerts, and there's really exploding the number of festivals and probably also here in this country. So, yet they, they spend money on, ugly word, on the experience of the medium is free. Same happened to food as well. Food used to be about 70% um, of people were farming 150 years ago, and nowadays it's a few percent, so the, and also the cost of food is really drastically went down with, with a factor of 15 to 20 in, uh, in, in, in the last 150 years. Uh, yet we still spend 100 euros or pounds on a, on a five star because it's, it's, yeah, we, we just want to have this experience of eating which is so close to our biology. And that's another thing that also doesn't change. By the way, the 7D, it's, it's also distributed. You always see that with power generation, you see that with information generation is now distributed rather than it's being uh, edited by uh, one or a limited amount of sources, uh, which, which might be a problem. I don't say this, but uh, it's happening at the moment as well. But this, coming back to this biological urge, Maslow, you probably know, uh, this is actually uh, what drives people, huh? the basic needs for uh, especially food, water, warmth, and rest. And if you actually sort that out, you start caring about security and safety. And then if you sort that out, your basic needs, then you go to your psychological needs, and then you go to your self-fulfillment needs. That's actually how we are building up, and actually also why, how we moved up. We do not care so much about water anymore. We solved that, that comes as running tap water for, and a ridiculous low price, etc. So that's, now we start caring about these kind of things. And actually, it's, it's very nice that we can also fool the, our, our brain in this. Here, it really says that here you need prestige and feeling of accomplishment, and that's really important. You don't need to accomplish anything. If you feel that you're accomplishing something, that's already what makes you happy. Like, like similar things that, that people invest in these little fountains on their balcony so that they hear fresh water and think, oh, I hear fresh water, this is a good place to settle, and I'm safe and I'm at ease. Yeah? Mm -hmm. Why we have fake green plants in office buildings just to make people go, oh, this is a fertile area, this is good to sit down, that's why we happy. That's why people like Oxford more than Eindhoven, because this is a nice old building, so that's why this looks like, oh, this hasn't changed in the last 200 years, this is a stable environment. This is a good place to settle, you know? That's, that's why architects making modern buildings uh, have a big mistake on that. So this, this biological urge is something that it's not changing. It's the primary thing. And that's also linked to mobility. Apparently, a lot of the uh, issues that you, do, that you just saw made somewhere in evolution made us make mobile for a little bit more than one hour. This constant is the professor, the first one to, to, to uh, research on that. This is one of the many researchers supporting that that wherever you measure all, all around the world during several decades from very poor countries to very rich countries, you always find that people are actively engaging in changing their circumstances for a little bit more than one hour. That's a constant in history, has all, that's been so for the last tens of thousands of years, and that's actually what also our main drive is. That's when people are most happy. And it's also where our body feels best. I don't know if somebody of you uses these step counters on your smartphone. 
Um, don't, somebody use this? And you should do 10,000, huh? that's the goal. That's, that's, that's best for your body, 10,000. And you also see that if you don't move at all, you just stay in the bed and go down and upset, that's about 3,000, huh? that's the basis. So the difference, 7,000, is exactly a little bit more than one hour. So that's what, what we tune upon. Also, these, these old retired people in the Netherlands now starting to bike again because we have these electric bikes. They all go out for a little bit more than one hour. That's most happy. That's the stable in history. It's in our genes, in our blood. You can get it out again. Also, in your. Um, the, the, the thing is that this technology enables us to, to use this constant. So, like, like just we still want to have food and water, etc. But technology made it possible on an exponential way in order to fulfill this need. Also with mobility, we have this one hour as a constant, and if you measure how, how much miles we do with the range that we can achieve with this one hour and six minutes, also the average speed, you can also mention that. You see that we started walking a bit, and then we, had, we used some horses, and some people sailed abroad, etc. That made a range of an average speed like this. Then a train came up, then horses we just we consumed at uh, the beginning of last century because they had a big, big environmental problem. Huh? New York produced it, the horse in New York produced more than 2 million kilograms of uh, crap uh, per day. So up came the big saver of the environment, the, the car, it came up, etc. and took that over. And I see all kinds of different uh, uh, subjects. And here what you see now, this probably the next five years is going to be an enormous change. And this is where you, when you, when you see an average TEDx, you always hear actually the same things. And let, let me just have a small clip. Well, I'm going to summarize all these TEDx's on the future mobility where the people do not own cars anymore, but they just use cars and they have all autonomous cars that have just come right in front of you if you need one. This is Sarah, and Sarah has a transparent screen as everybody in the future. <laughs> and she just orders a car, she doesn't have a car because she has to go somewhere. And uh, very expensive, Singapore dollar by the way, you can see this sticking in Singapore. And 908, she's going to be picked up, so she's just relaxed, and here it is. This is uh, just comes right in front, it's driverless, there's no, not even a wheel in it. She sits down, there's a mood detection. It seems to be very irritating if you're in a bad mood, but okay, <laughs> it's there for the purpose of adapting the cars. And she just goes up, and the uh, car drives itself, so it will start charging itself, and the system knows a shortcut, so she's going to be picked up and flown somewhere else. Now, this is her boyfriend, Sam. <laughs> Sam is in a park, Sam has Google glasses. Sam has no Spartan gears, but he's in a park, which is a little bit suspicious when you're alone, but uh, he has hidden the body, apparently, so uh, he can be picked up. Uh, you see, there's an Airbus movie, an Airbus uh, vision of the future. You can see, by the way, it's not a very big commercial success yet, so there's no <laughs> available over there. And you get all kinds of effort time. This is also nice. This is uh, a train. Just a gathering of all these little pots. The added value of a train around these pots is zero to my point of view, but okay. Trains already today run on religious uh, arguments rather than real arguments, and it's the same in the future. You saw about four of these pots. Uh, when you would supply London with, with these kind of machines, you, you see about two to three hundred thousand of these, uh, these drones in the air, but uh, okay. And see how happy they are. She did her job. Sam is just at mind that this go for another job and they're gonna have a latte macchiato talk about feeling somewhere else. <laughs> so this this issue often see for it. And this can happen. And these are stupid ideas that I might be a little bit skeptical, but I've been proven wrong before, so I do not know what happened about this. So actually the main question is what why should we change that all? We have this fantastic system now. Uh, 
it works good. Uh, everybody can be mobile more or less. It's it's uh, everybody's included because of the system. Why should we improve such things? And there's, there's quite a few things that we still should have to work on. Main thing is that there's still 1.2 million casualties per year. People dying in traffic, not only cars but also public transport, two-wheel traffic accidents, and then Asia for instance, that's, that's a big one. 1.2 million, that's a 9-11 every day, day in, day out. People dying in traffic. We should not accept that. And that's also the, 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 the biggest problem by far. And then we have the pollution, of course, which, by the way, just, just as a side note, uh, it's going to shift from exhaust to the non-exhaust. Tires are already quite more dirty, probably, than what comes out of... Uh, so I drive fully electric, but I, if I measure how much tire wear I have, the bits that also become dust from that, that's maybe worse than what comes from an exhaust. Also, the, 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 the copper... Uh, is the, from trains, etc., and, and the brakes, oh, that's such a dirty... Probably, I, I think public transport is dirtier trains than... But you're going to hear this in the, in the news in a couple of years, and you're going to remind me that I'm the first one that said it to you. It's going to be more important. Fossil fuel, all this other stuff, it's, it's, it's actually a big problem, and it, it's not a sustainable system, and it's just summarized as such. It's also a financial damage, most of that coming from accidents, but because of accidents and all the other ones, uh, our economy runs about 3 to 6% worse than it could run. Actually, 3 for developed countries, so uh, you can easily calculate that your economy would run billions and billions better if there would be no accidents, no pollution, and no congestion from traffic. So we have to improve there, and it also pays off in order to invest in that. Now, how are we going to do this? And this is the things that you see, and where in many of these dimensions there is also an ethical question that I just want to uh, propose to you for discussion, because we have kind of a big part of discussion as well. And yeah. Uh, I, I use these four dimensions because there's also the four dimensions that are often used by the car producers. This is where they spend at this moment most of their research money. 80% of their research goes on these four dimensions, autonomous, collective, electric, and shared. And let me just go through this and start with this big news that you probably have heard of, and it's also the most interesting thing to, uh, to, from a perspective of ethics, is this autonomous car. And, and then in, in the version that Google says, from okay, this is, this is the future, uh, we're not going to allow people to drive anymore because they are just too dangerous. 90% of the accidents is caused by human error, so we should not let people drive. We just take out the wheel. There's no wheel in these kind of things. There's no pedals in these kind of things. It's just a kind of horizontal elevator. You go in somewhere and you go out somewhere else where you want to go out. And they say that we should eliminate or at least get the driver out of the loop with the arguments of safety. I don't agree with that because even the worst driver does a fairly good job 99.99% of the time. It's this 0.01% of the time that you have to get them out of the loop. I fully agree with that. But getting people fully out of the loop is a fundamental problem that I want to just open for discussion here where I don't believe that that's going to happen in the next decades, if ever. And just to show you, I just have a short clip of Amsterdam where it's just a daily picture of Amsterdam and uh, you will see a car entering in the right of the... Uh, picture there and just suppose that this is a Google car nicely programmed to follow the law because that's why it's so safe. Now the law and I think it's the same here the law in most European countries say that if you uh, are showing the, in, the in intention to cross a pedestrian crossing, uh, crossing that you should be given right of way. So that's probably also here in England that's being followed up a little different in different countries but okay that's the law. What would this Google do? There's a question. What would this Google car do if somebody shows the intention to cross the road, but actually do, does not cross the road, actually? So 
how, how long would the Google car wait for that kind of situation? And, and that's, that's just something that, that I use here because uh, for some reasons there are two people here showing the intention to cross the pedestrian crossing but do not actually cross it. And now our car comes in from the right and it stops a little bit late. But okay, it stops. These people keep on probably fake trams. But at a three seconds, it breaks the law just to continue. But this is breaking the law what the car is doing at this moment. Same happens here as a Porsche coming from the right. It has to give way to this bike, but also to our car. But hey, it's a Porsche, so it just takes way. And the bike is fine with that because it makes its path actually easier. Same with the bike that comes from the left. He has way to our car, but suddenly goes to the left without indicating an armor whatsoever. And the same, the pedestrian, more bikes come. This pedestrian also has weight, but things won't get out of the way with this English brick. Um, and that's, that's just an average situation, which is not very extreme. This is not New Delhi or Hanoi or Jakarta or Belgium or some, some less organized uh, part of the world. Yet, it was showed that every now and then it's necessary to flexibly interpret the law in order to survive traffic. And this is just one example of two or three examples where you see that the car had to flexibly interpret the rules because yet you need to take much more distance from bikes by law than he's doing. But, but these examples are so unendless by definition. Uh, most laws in Europe say also that you have to have a distance between two cars on a highway of two seconds. There's some countries that say it harsh as law, or say there's a guideline, but two seconds difference between two cars. That means if you want to legally enter a highway, you have to wait for a gap of four seconds. Now in London, you can wait until half past three in the night before you legally can enter such a highway. It's, it's just the system doesn't work on that. And that's, that's, that's something I think that if the Google car would just this relatively simple situation would try to survive, and, and if you would release it in city traffic, and this has already been proven, actually with, with a lot of these experiments, it just stops or parks itself at a certain moment and starts crying. Because it just cannot handle its real world. And this is actually what you're entering. And I also, I also showed, this is a, a British artist, James Bridle, that uh, is just a, a, an artist picture, but he made autonomous traps. So you see this is a dotted line and a continued line, that means you can go in, but you're not allowed to go out. So he has a big plan to catch all the autonomous vehicles with these kind of traps. And, and that's actually the essence of, of all the thing. I, I, I had a discussion in Italy, and the guy said, yeah, okay, that, then if you, you can also shift the rules a little bit, but there's so much, actually, entire traffic is happening outside the official regulation. In India, it's totally based on a different, non-official regulation, how traffic is running, compared to the official regulation. So that's, that's, a, that's a total difference. But also, he, this Italian said, yeah, in Italy, it's, it's already different, depending where you are, in Milan, Traffic lights are instructions. In Rome, traffic lights are suggestions. And in Naples, traffic lights are Christmas decorations. So it's, uh, how, how are you ever going to have this, this, this human thing? How are you going to organize this flexible interpretation of rules? And this is just, this, uh, maybe <coughs> just a thesis for discussion that I think that we should, and therefore I showed you these robots, we should never allow robots that what we are now going to do to be able to cover outside the lines. We should never allow robots to cover outside the lines because then probably the end of humanity is not so far away at a certain moment. These robots are going to look at us because they're going to be a thousand times smarter than us. They're probably going to look at us just as we look at ants. And we don't hate ants, so they probably don't hate us, but, but yeah, if ants get in our way, uh, we, we step over them, but if they get in our way, we, we're quite... Uh, 
Yeah, it can be quite rude on that. So that's, that's not really. This is this is actually the thing that we have to do in order to have this this artificial intelligence really working for us, to institutionalize this coloring outside the lines that it doesn't get out of the hand. This is actually something that goes for entire society, to my point of view. It's probably your knowledge territory more than mine. But uh, I don't think that there's in the future a lot of added value of us human beings by coloring inside the lines. That's just work that's being automized and will be further automized. The only added value that you, we as human beings have is that we are able to color outside lines. This institutionalization is also for companies. Warren Buffett does that with his big companies. He always says, okay, there's no rule for everything, um, but he has the paper principle. This is a way of institutionalizing the coloring outside the lines. If you think you have to decide something, don't call me or something. Uh, just think from what if the paper finds out and they come to ask me from, hey, why did you do this? Because this is not against regulations. And if you think, ah, I can easily explain, do it. If you think, oh, no, paper doesn't find out, don't do it. That's, that's his way of institutionalizing outside the calling outside lines. Being in a cathedral, the Catholics also have a good system huh, with the, the confession. That's also the institutionalization of calling outside the lines. Catholics are a bit more innovative than the, than the other religions, apparently, and more criminal. But okay, <laughs> it's commu communicating vessels. Um, coming back to the technology, as I said, robots will be able to cover inside the lines, and that's also what they're good at. That's also what, what, what Volvo says. This is the systems that take over, and it's 0.01% of the time that a bad driver is messing up, and then the, then the car will take over control to prevent worse to happen. And with good drivers, it's 0.00001% of the time. And therefore, both with all this technology, uh, by 2020, nobody should be seriously injured or killed in a new Volvo car. They also say buy a new Volvo car. This mm -hmm. already starts another ethical discussion that I will come back to. But Volvo says it's not that they're just killing everybody around just to save themselves. And as an example of that, I show you a kind of a, 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 a bit of frightening uh, a clip here. I don't know if you've seen this. This came out when kind of viral half a year ago happened in Norway, just to show you what new car technology can do. It scared the hell out of you, but it will, nothing happens. So, this, this truck great in seven meters or something from, that's a red, that with a truck of three year older, that would have been uh, disastrous, of course. But it also, uh, apparently, people study this, probably break before the guy sees it, starts it. So probably the, the truck starts breaking and save the, save the life of children. And all this kind of technology, you will uh, see more and more of in cars that take over if, 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 if an accident is about to happen. This also went viral, also indicated by Elon Musk himself. This is a Tesla, six kilometers from my house, by the way. And um, this is an accident that's going to happen. I'm going to tell you the next accident is going to happen. Everybody walked out without any injury. I just tell it because it also looks a little bit scary. But uh, I'll tell you now that an accident is going to happen, and yet you probably not, don't see it coming. But you will hear that the Tesla will see it coming and start bleeping and breaking of its own. So taking over control because the driver doesn't take the notice of the accident coming up. Pip, 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 pip. It starts breaking now. Again, everybody stepped out, just nothing happened over there. This technology should, of course, be more cars. Uh, it should also be better, uh, because this is, this, that's the one that, uh, that Elon Musk uh, sent all around the world and went viral. 
And this one, he didn't send around, but this car also sees, uh, but probably it was not programmed, there was a car on the left. <laughs> we are a very nice Swiss scheisse, if you would have <laughs> But uh, So this is, this is just something that was not programmed in the car. And a guy in China died with such a car at, at maximum speed, also a car parked on the left side because it broke down. And um, this is an ethical thing because this technology of course it improves, because the next time this is going to happen, probably they also will know, because Tesla learns from this, it shares, so it's going to be very clean drivers. But how ethical is it to have these cars already driving on the road? Because Tesla has uh, about two to three times more accidents than similarly powered sedans of other brands. Uh, just a few This is probably not because of automated driving, this guy just <laughs> picked up his new Tesla. And, uh, and, uh, but it happened, at, but it, it got worse a couple of weeks ago. This is the Tesla, and you might have heard about this a month ago. A guy died in this Tesla because it, at full speed, it crashed into this uh, concrete uh, thing, block. At full speed, so the guy died. And, somebody, and it was an autopilot, and so the journalist went there and went to see what actually happened there, probably. And he came with this conclusion. So this is just the way a few days later, and you see that there's, this, there's this, this line there between two concrete platters, and it moves to the left, and probably, maybe because of the sun, the car showed two, these two lines instead of the official lines, which we as human beings never will do. And at a certain moment, the car saw, you see, these lines now are following what the car thought would be the lines, so this Tesla was driving at this alley at full speed, and that's where the accident happens. So this, this technology is still improving itself, and yes, it saves a lot of lives, but on the other hand, it's also costing quite some lives. And this is, that, that's a difficult discussion. Should we already, and at what point will we allow people to die because of technology failure, where maybe, at the other hand, 99 people save their lives? Are, going to, are we going to decide to do so? And that's, that comes back to the trolley problem that you probably know of. This is the official thing that's always used by... Uh, so the trolley problem says that suppose you are there, you see that there are, there are five people laying on the, on the track that, that will be about to be killed, and there's only one person over here, and would you switch the lever to save five people but to kill another one? And the official law and the, jury, the, the legal people say you should not do that because uh, if you do that, you are responsible for a death of a person. If you don't do anything, you're not responsible officially. How, how are we going to ever do And if these are five children, and this is one guy of 86 year old, I think he had, had a nice life, and are we ever going to leave this decision to machines? Open for discussion later on. Let me just go smartly, because this, this is, of course, the main thing. Uh, just shortly also go to, to the other, the electrical thing that, uh, just for information, that's going to happen. Uh, not so much because electricity is going to be so cheap, because electricity is going to be very, very cheap. Just as Brent Tapwater, I think in a couple of years, decades from now, we consider energy to be free. Because, uh, we, we even, electricity is going to be so cheap that we're going to make gasoline and diesel from electricity. That's possible. That's what we do with university. That's also a mindset change. How we used to make electricity from fuels. Uh, in the future, we're going to make fuels from electricity. And then, so we can still fly planes, and yes, they produce CO2, but the same CO2 from COT, water, and electricity, you can make a liter of fuel. That's going to be the future. So cheap is electricity going to be, but it's not the reason that we are going to, uh, 
drive electric jet because it's a simple car. It only has 200 important components, 19 of them, uh, Tesla has 19 rotating components. A conventional car has about 900 rotating components and 1,400 essential components. So it's just cheaper, etc. There's only one component that's very expensive, that's the battery. And at this moment, the costs of batteries are plunging so hard, so fast that in four to five years, it's just simply simpler to drive electric, or cheaper to drive electric than to drive conventional fuel. And also, it's been calculated by Roland Berger that it might cost so as, 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 as low as 100 euros per month, including taxes, including insurance, including everything. 100 euros per month, private ease. That's going to be the future of mobility, is what they said. This is music getting for free, and yet people still will pay maybe four or five hundred euros per month, etc. But you can already drive for hundred euros per month. That's that's demonetization happening in the industry as well. Uh, the price of a bus ticket per day, you can drive at least a car. So that also puts another light in what people always say about sharing. Right? This car that you just share and you, you call an app and the car will drive in front of you. Which which would you do this if a car only cost 100 euros a month to drive. That's, that's going to be... And already in the Netherlands you can already private lease a conventional car for 150 euros a month every now and then. And that's already a question that we already have. Should, should you, are we going to share these kind of things? This movement from owning stuff to sharing stuff. We don't own CDs anymore because we have Spotify that we share all the music. This is going to happen to cars, this physical world, this extension of your caves. That smells like me, where all my football gear from I'm coaching my boys, etc. It's always leave it there so I know where to find it. it huh? I don't know. People say, yeah, but you use these cars only 4% per day in average. So, yeah, I use my toilet less than 1% per day. <laughs> uh, now, with five of us at home, so that's 4% of the day it's used. So I gathered together with 34 other of my neighbors with my idea in order to share one toilet, but that wasn't very successful. We had even two toilets in our house, so that's that's. That's, that's something that I'm still aware of. Yet, sharing will happen maybe for the second car, the third car, that you can ha have every now and then have a sporting car, or if you live in a historical city where parking is very expensive, that's where it will popping up. But the main thing will probably still be private leasing of the car. The car gets better because I was a little bit skeptical on the self-driving car with all its uh, implications, but cars will take over more and more pieces of roads. For instance, in a traffic jam, and people that uh, have a car that takes over the traffic jam do not mind traffic jam anymore. So all these kind of things, if you take the nasty bits out of driving, the total driving experience gets better. Like skiing, uh, I like skiing, but maybe skiing downhill. If you ski back up, that's, that's not a nice thing. We invented the elevator for that, and since then skiing went very popular. Same is about to happen with cars if you take the nasty bits out. And then we come to this, this problem that we love cars so much, and what it is said, it's there's, there's so many things that are not uh, as, as theoretically and, and, uh, and objective. Like this is a cool picture, but, but the modality is, is the most uh, noise-making, polluting, unsafe mobility. Yet yeah, this is cool. And there was also a nice series of photographs of Japanese truck drivers, how, how they look at this, this piece of cave that they drive around with and how proud they are and, and what they're doing. And there's also some decoration tips that you get freely from me. Uh, but they, they just see this as part of their life. And, 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 and this is something that is, is being wide, widely uh, used. So we have a huge problem with mobility in the future, probably. And, and that's the fact that actually this one point, if, if these cars are inherently safe and inherently clean and 
uh, and, and you can work in that. So even congestion, you can you can solve the congestion problem not by solving the congestion, but by solving the problem that people have with it. Then, then we have this space problem that's going to be increased, especially in cities like Oxford. Oxford, for instance, you feel that. And, and you can take an Uber uh, with sharing cars, or you can have a driverless car, but that's that's not going to solve the, the issue. Even driverless car will be worse because there will also be empty cars on top of the people, of the, the, the cars with people in it. So, uh, actually, we, we, we need to have two the driverless cars. I think the city doesn't need driverless cars, it needs cars drivers, people without a car and bikes. And there's a, a, a big problem, although it's maybe a little sad remark that I have some, some bad feelings, some pessimistic feelings on public transport because nobody knows that it's very expensive. Uh, just to summarize that, and, uh, this is what it costs for the, uh, for the government in order to, uh, because if you see that we have to keep people mobile for a little more than one hour, how are you going to do this? And you can do this by bus, train, or by the air, it's a bit hard to compare. Uh, not alternatives for each other, but for the bike, car, and coaches are these, these, these Flixbus systems that are in this year as well, these uh, demand-driven bus technologies that you have now. Now, this is what the infrastructure costs in order to fuel that, so the train is quite expensive to drive. So just the cost of trains divided by the number of passengers per kilometers. But then you have also this 3% of negative effects of societal costs because of accidents. If you just count that on top of that, this is negative for bikes, because for every kilometer that you bike, you'll save the, the government in due course a lot of... Uh, health cost, so biking is, is, is almost cash neutral with that. And people pay taxes for cars, and public transports have been subsidized. Actually, this point zero should be minus point nine, so this should be a, a little bit of a mistake here. But this is the total cost, where air is a little bit lower than that, uh, the total cost for the government in order to make you mobile for one kilometer. That's, that, this is an essential discussion that at this moment is going on. Uh, you see how cheap this is. Bike and car paying for itself, air almost paying for itself, and these very cheap alternatives. And there are and the people say, yeah, but it's for the poor people. They still have to uh, to be able to do transport. But we're going to a situation that bikes and cars are much cheaper than uh, what 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 uh, public transport costs. Is there any future for public transport? Yes, but it should be demand-driven and flexible in assets and routings. That's the only way. It's a kind of Uber, the the, the future public transport system. And um, I just. This was a thesis of mine, and it appears to be quite true. So rail-bound systems have a very big problem because they're just not flexible in assets and routing. I know there's a discussion here going on to having a high-speed rail from Bergen. Don't, don't start with this. That's actually, that's, that's going to be disastrous by definition. You're never going to earn that back. Some disaster as well. I even said for me, we should just put asphalt on the roads and have buses, flex buses do the other service. That would be three billion euros cheaper in the Netherlands. And it appears to be true. But it was a side remark, the main thing I want to say here from what you always see if technology comes in, it's actually what you see here is that also it cleans up the environment. And it's not because I used an old train here and, and maybe it's a nicer picture here. But what we will see in the, in the near future is that we will get rid of a lot of this kind of rubbish, these cluttering around streets, because smart mobility is smart cars on a stupid infrastructure. That's the best system. And it goes for all technology. If you want to have an intelligent system, make sure that there are intelligent clients and servers on a relatively stupid infrastructure. It makes it easier and fastest to, to, uh, to extend. Like the internet, it's copper wire, 200 years old, with very smart clients and servers. And that's a smart system. And actually, you see this also now with, with this is not a role of the government, where the government used to say, okay, London, to the left, nobody looks at this anymore. Everybody's a navigation system. 
And if that's not the fastest route, nobody takes the route anymore. And it used to be the government under control, but they're now starting to realize that this traffic management they used to own is, is getting out of their hands. And you see this also like this, this crossing used to be with all the rules nicely uh, being uh, communicated with the traffic lights, and now you see this more and more replaced by traffic light less crossings, etc. And, and they leave it to people themselves in order to organize this. There was a nice example of the, if you've been to Amsterdam, at the back of Amsterdam, we had here, there was a, a cycle path with a traffic light over here, because this is where the ships land from Amsterdam North. It's just these ferries with bikes, and they, they puke out 200 bikes and, and mopeds every couple of minutes. And there was a big problem here with this light. Yeah, we should make a tunnel or something, and they, they couldn't have a lot of accidents happened there, because people didn't took attention on the, on the traffic lights. And then somebody said, okay, just just make no rules there. Make it just one big square and leave it to the people. This is 10 times safer and much more friendly, everybody says. Because even the, 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 the boys and mopeds, etc., they quickly communicate and somehow arrange this on a better way. And this is this distributed system uh, that you're talking about. And the government actually it's, has to have a different role, just on the sidelines. And, and, uh, I always fear that the government might end up a little bit like this, this poor guy, which is also a self-organizing system, eh? based on a, on a very few rules. You see that and, and this guy just maybe has the illusion that he's managing this. <laughs> this is also a manager and a company that think, from, yeah, it's got left, but if you have a clear goal and you leave a lot of power and empowerment to the people themselves, then the company will run itself. And this is the manager still having an illusion that he's doing it. That's maybe a little bit in the future. What I want to end up with is uh, actually that, that for all this technology, you see this exponential growth in technology. We, this is actually Moore's law of mobility. Huh? And this, because I hadn't told it, but it's a logarithmic scale, as you see that this is still continuing to, to the day of today. That, that we're going to keep it further and further. But where is this going to end? Where is this intelligence going to end in 20 to 30 years? How many kilometers are we going to do in 20 to 30 years? Do we have to go to Mars every second day or something in order to just fulfill this? Or do we go, do, are we going to invest all this intelligence to make things better instead of more? So this, this high-speed lanes, this hyperloop nonsense, all this kind of things. Should we invest in this kind of things or just make, make life better with parks instead of parking, more leisure mobility, etc.? That's, that's the kind of decision that we have to do, but where you see things happening at this moment, this happened in Amsterdam. This is three times the same position. How it should be, how it used to be, and how we solved it, actually. This, this, this is where the cars took over. This is where you see now that people start realizing that cities are not there for showing cars or facilitating mobility, but are there to live, experience, converse, dine, protest, all this kind of stuff. I don't have to explain this to Oxford, because can you imagine that you would get the cars back into the streets? That's not possible anymore. So that's, that's a one-way direction that you see now all around the world. The High Line in uh, New York, you might have seen already. Seoul is now completely, completely reusing an old highway uh, system for parking. It's most of the most popular part of Seoul, etc. And that, that's actually what at this moment is doing. And I see one technology that might be just helping both on getting further in mobility and also getting better mobility, which is virtual reality, actually. I don't know if you think and discuss a lot about that. But if, if somehow you, we have to fulfill this one hour and six minutes of mobility for people, 
And if you can do this virtually, and I don't mean virtually that I just put up my glasses and have a conversation with somebody in Australia so that I don't have to go there anymore. No, I mean the experience of traveling, just try to simulate that for yourself. Which we are, which have already been done with, with old demented people, that they just can travel through the village as it used to look like when they were young, and they put up virtual uh, reality glasses. It's not good enough, they get sick a little bit, but uh, they forget about it. So. But, um, but they just, they're so happy because they, they, they refine their mobility urge in some way. And, and then also, you can also choose your car. So take a car, choose your route, choose your weather. So do, do a South African road with nice sunny weather. Choose your passenger. And she actually listens to you. That's also <laughs> all these kind of things. Maybe in this virtual room, we will be able to, 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 to escape. But what will happen if you put off your glasses then? you see that you're somewhere in the north of England or something and, uh, and it's raining, pouring outside and you see your wife and your ugly children and said, well, you, you, you're probably going to quickly put your glasses back on. And it's not going to be glasses because we can directly link into the nerves so we just put it on and off, etc. Will we ever escape that? Isn't this going to be the new drug? Will we not end up all in a virtual world that we just simulated for ourselves? Now, there are a lot of people, including Elon Musk and Yuval Harari, that have, uh, uh, both have a, have a theory that it's quite problem that we are probably that we're already in such a simulated world. Mm -hmm. So I'm not standing here at all. That Musk says, and uh, one of the chance that we're not in a simulated world is one in a billion. That's what he, uh, he claims uh, that to be. Now, uh, so that might end up, that's, that's another system that then everything is solved. And, uh, but for this chance of one on a billion, that we are still in a real world, we have to cope with what's coming up with these, these, these job takers. Huh? These, these robots tilting the boxes for us so that we do not have to have box pickups anymore, which is a good thing because that's nasty work. That's just work within rules. But it will, be, it will be completely taken over by robots, like actually anything, making food, making products, and that's Industry 4.0, will be taken over by robots, to uh, my point of view and a lot of other people as well. What are we going to do then? And will everything will be for free then? Probably as well. We only have to pay for the uh, for the material that you use to make something, but the, the, it comes at no expense. And is this bubble of Richardson? Huh? If you see uh, the poverty line over here, 1895, we just about everybody. We just we we saying goodbye to poverty more or less in the, in the next days. Uh, will this continue to be so? Everything gets for free. What what kind of ethical new world is this going to be? If I took this one. A lot of people say now that ah, this this one percent earning everything uh, just as much as the lowest fifty percent. I don't know if you heard about this. Ah, this is something that that was much worse in history. But coincidentally, the English-speaking countries they also fled Europe in order to have a more equal system, huh? away from the federal system. But they are now worse than the than, than the other countries. This is the share of total income going to the top one percent. So this, this is a little bit different if you are an English-speaking country or not. But maybe we come to a world where we go from the haves and the have-nots to the haves and have-lots. That's, that's often said, because everything is going to be abundant. I already said about energy, food, everything is going to be abundant for free. I don't think we solve the problem if we go to a new world of haves and have-lots. I think the problem is just as big as with have and have-nots. And that's also because of our biology. I don't, I don't know if you know Frans de Waal, uh, the guy studying, uh, I'm probably also more in your territory, and, and you probably have seen this one. Uh, 
This is just an experiment that we did with two monkeys, and these monkeys were completely satisfied because they learned them a trick that if they uh, give the guy a rock, then they get uh, a piece of cucumber. And this went well until the day that one of the two monkeys didn't get a cucumber, but a grape, which on the level of uh, deliciousness is higher than uh, cucumber in these monkeys. And this happened. So she gives a rock to us, that's the task, and we give her a piece of cucumber and she eats it. The other one needs to give a rock to us, and that's what she does. So this is the half, and this is the half a lot now. And she eats it, the other one sees that, she gives a rock to us now, yes, we get a cucumber. <laughs> <laughs> So this, this went very well until the grapes came up, huh? And he started feeding the other one grapes. She tests her rock now against the wall. She needs to give it to us. And she gets to her again. <laughs> okay. So this, this, this is actually... Uh, more or less the Occupy Wall Street uh, discussion as well. Huh? It's, it's, it's the, we have to level that out as well. But this future of where you can easily calculate if there still be a job for you, what are we going to do if all the computers do our jobs in the future? And this is the same discussion that we had in the old days with the, uh, with the agricultural sector, where 70% used to be, so 70% of our economy was about producing food, and nowadays it's, it's maybe two or 3%. If you would have told this farmer 150 years ago that in 150 years, probably uh, uh, nobody's farming anymore because it's all being done by machines. He would have concluded that, okay, then we don't have to work anymore, we just wait until the machines give us our food, and we don't have to do anything. No, 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 you have other jobs. Oh, what kind of jobs? Yeah, uh, HR counselor, uh, app developer, uh, these guys, yoga coach, uh, these kind of things. <laughs> oh, this, this one I saw on the BBC, <laughs> emoji translator. Try to explain that to this boss of, of uh, to this farmer of 150 years ago, and it's probably the new jobs will come up. I think we're going to make a shift, a shift to to bullshit jobs, or maybe it's 100% bullshit job that we're going to do uh, science. That's the only non-bullshit job maybe in the future. So you show the good direction here. But uh, yeah, this, these job takers maybe we should not be too concerned about this. Let them do the boxes because they do this much, much more better than that. They always put them in the right direction. They never complain about, about the circumstances. They don't, they don't they never sing except once. So you, you see, this is a technical university and this is what we are improving at this moment. So we still have work to do also for the next decades. But uh, I think your work on the ethics, which I already told, is going to be even more important because you're going to determine the limits of what we're going to let these robots do and what we're not going to let these humans do. And, and I hope really that we are able to set some guidelines for these robots before they're going to be a little bit too dangerous. Please help with that. Thanks for your attention and that's this.